We are uh, in a series uh, here. Um, I'm going to scoot ahead there. You got to get the deck. We are in a series here called Formation Life Together as the Family of God. And we are wrapping up that series today. And I'm calling this really just the body of providence. The body of providence. So I'm going to have probably half of a sermon and half of a family chat today. Uh, just to kind of like, we're, we're really trying to come together as a church and say post COVID. Uh, what does the church look like, and where do you fit in the church? And so, um, so, so part of it is going to be like how we work as a church, uh, but I'll kind of explain that and how we go about it. Because if you're here this morning, uh, we welcome you to the body of Providence, and there are different levels, different ways that you can kind of get gauged in the ministry here. But I really believe that uh, the church that you decide to be part of is perhaps the most important decision of your life because it really determines the community uh, through which you are going to live your life. And uh, I've said that over and over again. I believe that uh, wholeheartedly. So I call it the body of providence because one of the metaphors in Scripture used for the local church is the body. It's used as a, as a physical body. I don't know if you, any of you ever went to Body Worlds. Uh, have you been, any of you been to that? There's been about 50 million people around the globe that have seen these exhibits but body worlds is this, this, they go through this process with human bodies upon their uh, departure from this earth, I guess you would say, and they take those bodies and do a process called plastination where they, uh, are a, they donate their, their entire bodies to these exhibits, and uh, you can then see kind of inside the body. And if you go to these exhibits, there's about you know, 30 to 50 different uh, bodies and different parts of bodies. And it's extremely fascinating, and it's, 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 it almost takes you a little shocking when you kind of walk into the exhibit. But as you actually start to look at it, you know, you know we don't really know how many, uh, the, what those sinews in our shoulders really look like. And we see them in chemistry class and biology class and all that, but uh, I guess not chemistry, but <laughs> unless you're <laughs> really messed up. But uh, uh, it's been a long time since I've been in those classes, but... But you can actually see that all on display, and you can see kind of the fat there uh, in the tissue linings and all that kind of thing. Is, and it actually has an effect upon people. 79% uh, of the people that have gone to the Body Worlds exhibit felt upon leaving a deep marvel at the human body. But get this, one-third of all attendees immediately started a healthier diet <laughs> after looking at that. And one out of four started playing sports. Who would have thought that just going and looking at skinless uh, corpses, basically, would make such a radical change in people's lives? Because they were actually looking at with their bodies, and they, they, you know, they have several displays where they show diseased parts, and, and if you took care of your body, how this part would look and how much longer it would last. So I think when, uh, of course, God knows all this stuff. So when he says that the church is a body... I actually think it's kind of a lost metaphor because I don't think most Christians actually see themselves as part of a body. They, they say it because they've heard it in church their whole life, but if, if you were to ask them how necessary do you feel to the functioning of that congregation, most of them would probably say, probably not, I'm not very significant there. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12 is the one that begins this metaphor, and it says... Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We are baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, 
but of many. So this is the, this idea that he's fleshing out here in 1 Corinthians 12 is uh, we are part of Christ and we are part of Christ's body and we are been baptized by one spirit to form one body. When Jesus left this earth, he set up one organism that would inhabit his power and his spirit, and that is the local church. Acts talks about the spread of it. Romans uh, talks about the doctrine of the church. The epistles highlight a lot of the problems with the church. Timothy talks about the leadership of the church. Revelation talks about the end of the church. After the Gospels, the Bible is pretty much just about the church. And God's desire is for his people in his church to function as a body. But as uh, Paul goes on to say here, there's a lot of problems with that. In verse 15 it says, uh, and you can imagine this, right? It almost sounds like a Mr. Potato Head passage. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason start being part, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. Something that can actually conspire against this body imagery is I call it the pride of insecurity and self-pity. This is the person who becomes, say, I am part of a body, but they automatically start saying, hey, I'm not as important as the hand, therefore I am not the body. I'm not as important as this other person, therefore uh, I'm not really, I don't really belong there. I, why do I call that pride? Because if, if you study in psychology, self-pity is just as big of a problem with pride as arrogance is. Because it's, it's an entire me-centric orientation of life. But what does it say in verse 18? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You know, you know how amazing that thought is? That if God made you a foot in the body, God wants you to be a foot. And where would it be without feet, right? I, I know what it's like to not have feet. I, I locked my laptop into my office in, a, in a, my previous ministry, and it was on the second floor of an office building, and I needed it for the weekend, and I forgot my keys. And so I decided to go break into my office and climb up on the roof and break through the window to get my laptop so I could go home and use it over the weekend. And it was in the middle of an ice storm, would you know? And uh, I fell off that roof and broke both feet at the same time. I, I did not learn stop, drop, and roll. I just stopped and dropped and broke. Uh, so I couldn't walk. Um, and my wife laughed when that happened. I'll never forget that, but she carried me to the car. So um, we need feet. You know, if you ever really busted your toe, you don't really know how much you use your toe until you start walking on a busted toe, right? It affects your whole body. So I don't care if you're the pinky toe in here or the big toe or the whole foot or the ankle. But what he's saying is God puts you where he wanted you to be. So let's not be insecure of self-pity that because I'm not up here singing beautiful music, being looked at by everybody, that somehow I'm less important, right? But then there's another pride. There's a pride of judgmentalism and exclusion. In verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
Basically saying here, the ugliest parts of the body are your hands and your feet. Those are the ones that nobody sits and goes, my, you have beautiful hands. I mean, where do you ever say, you have beautiful feet, right? But the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Okay? So what what is he saying here? That God is actually saying all parts matter equally in the body. And there's no part of the body that can ever get to the point where they think they're the stuff and other people in the body are less important or do not belong. And if you've been in church long enough, you know there's some people, you've probably been affected by some people that have that kind of air about them. They think because of their accomplishments outside these four walls that somehow they should get a special place of leadership within the four walls. Or, or even that leadership is, is more important than somebody who's not in leadership but just simply has a service position and encourages people and prays for people. Like he's saying here, there's no difference in the body. So I, I wrote this down. The church should be the greatest place where the dignity and value of humankind is shown in all people. And there should be no place for self-pity, and there should be no place for judgmentalism and exclusion in the body. What will keep you from bonding with a local church is when you walk in and compare yourself to other people versus connecting into the body. We really ought to be asking, how can I plug into a local body and work for the betterment of the body? So you need every single person that's part of the body. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. Oh, that was really quiet. (laughs) Turn to the other side and say, I need you. But I want you to do this. But I want you to say this now. But you also need me. Okay? Turn to the other side now. You also need me. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because if you really believe you need somebody next to you, then church is no longer an event on a Sunday morning. The relationship has got to go deeper for that even to make sense. Like attending services is is not the jam, folks. It is actually your part is so much deeper than that. You are part of a group of people that is mutual interdependence, where there is equal concern, and, and there is, he says there at the end of the passage, there is shared pain and shared rejoicing. This is the new family of Jesus. I don't think most people see themselves as a value, me, valuable member of something to the point that if they stepped out, they'd be missed very much. I'm not sure most Christians don't think of church as primarily something you attend instead of being part of something or some group. You know, people often ask me, hey, Jason, where's your church? I say, well, I think they're at work right now. What they're really wanting to know is where the building is where we meet. That's not the church. That's why I like the Puritans. They would always put on their church signs, this is the meeting place of the church. This is not the church. And if the true picture of the church is a body, I tend to think the mindset after 25 years of pastoring that most people I've encountered think of church as is like a piece of clothing on the body or a piece of jewelry. 
They're an accessory. They can be taken on or taken off. But they don't see themselves as essential to the functioning of the body. So how do we reclaim the biblical idea of what it means to be a body? I think it demands a level of commitment to one another. My thumb, I am deeply committed to my thumb. It is all in. <laughs> that thing's not going anywhere, right? My nose, I'm not, I'm not giving that up. I don't wake up in the morning and put myself together, right? My, my body is all together and is necessary for the functioning. So I really believe that every Christian needs to be part of a local community of believers like this. What does that mean? For most churches, they actually talk about being part of a body, and they talk about it as church membership. Like we use terms like, have you joined the church? Um, but, I, but I think I want to talk about that kind of idea because I think membership by and large in our culture has, has moved to the point of what I call meaningless membership. But just some uh, ideas of the fact that church is more than an event you attend, but it's actually a body you belong to. I want to just give you a few passages here to look at. First of all, we've already looked at the biblical metaphor of a body. But in Ephesians 2, it says, we are the household of God. That is the idea of a cohesive building that's all together. And then he uh, elaborates on that and says we are a temple. So the temples are bricks who are all fit together by mortar. And it then says we're a flock. So a flock is this idea of these sheep who are all together under a shepherd. So this is the idea of belonging to something more than an event that you attend. We see this idea of congregational care. The, the challenge to us pastors is pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So there's obviously for pastors, there are people you are to care for, and there are other believers of other flocks that you're not to care for, but there's a way to identify who is part of this flock. We see conflict resolution and discipline. Matthew 18 says, has a whole process that in the body, if, if your brother sins against you, you go to him alone. Then if he doesn't hear you, you bring somebody else. Then if that person won't listen to you, you bring uh, the leadership of the church along. And if, and if they won't listen to them, then you actually bring it to the whole body and say, we have an irresolvable, irresolvable conflict here, and we have to exercise discipline in this situation because this person will not change their ways. You can better believe it. Just because somebody attends here twice a year, I'm not going to go do that to them. I might do it out as a Christian brother and confront them, but I'm not going to bring them all the way through. You can get sued for that, right? There's got to be a way to identify, okay, who's really part of the body here and who's not. I think most people really don't want to be part of that because of the deep accountability that's actually there. But I want you to know, if you're part of this body and your husband leaves you for another woman and he's part of this body, I want you to know there's going to be an army of people going confronting your husband. You will have an army of people on your side trying to call him back into the right place with the body and with you. That is valuable, right? You want to be part of a church that if you mess up, some people will be knocking on your door saying, hey, come back to Jesus, right? We even have this issue of excommunication. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there is, a, there is an adult man in the church who is having a sexual incestuous relationship uh, with his father's wife. So it wasn't his biological mom, it was his new wife, and he's engaged in a sexual relationship with her. And Paul's saying, this has been known in the church, and you're tolerating this to happen, and, and shame on you as a church for allowing this. 
And, and you, need to, you need to deal with that sinner, and if they won't repent, you need to expel him from your midst, right? That's, that's really what it's saying there, right? That you have to deal with this kind of thing. So purge the evil from among you. Now, there's, there is always room, by the way, I want to make it clear, in the, in the Bible, for somebody who gets involved in egregious behavior, but if they repent of it and say, I was wrong, I, and I want to restore my relationships, There's never any excommunication for that person. It is the person who will constantly continue to harm others. There's actually an expulsion that takes place. How do you do that unless that person has said, hey, I'm actually part of this body? And then we have this idea of church leadership. One of the scariest passages in the Bible to me as a pastor is this passage says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. But that would be of no advantage to you. I basically think if, if you are a covenant partner here, I do believe there's a day where I will stand before the Lord and I'll have to give an account of how I shepherded you and the other elders, Josh and Kevin and Jeff. We'll have to give an account and Alvaro, how they shepherded you. That's scary to me. In Hebrews, the author is saying, y'all be good so they have a good day up there, okay? <laughs> because if it's hard on them, it's going to be hard on you too, you know? Um, I... I don't know who, who, who else, who am I really responsible for here? Unless I know if you're committed to the body here, I'm honestly not taking responsibility for you. I don't need additional people on that list, right, who I don't know if they're really in or if they're really a part of the body. Ironically, at the uh, Body Worlds exhibit, this is one of the exhibits they have there of smoker's lung versus non-smoker's lung. Like one out of eight people that look at that stop smoking the next week, right, when they see it. Because in the body there, we see the lack of health. And that, you know, for the body to be healthy, it needs some form of way of people to identify themselves with the body. So I'm going to show you how sick I think the church is around this issue. We, we, if we just use the issue of membership, the way you join most churches is you walk up to the pastor and say, hey, I want to join this church. And he basically says, are you a Christian? And have you been baptized? And you say, yes. And they say, welcome. You're now in the church pictorial directory. You get your picture taken afterwards, and you're part of the church. That's how you join the average church. But in the largest Christian denomination in America, the Southern Baptist Convention, there are 16 million members, but only 6 million show up on any given Sunday. 16 million, 6. I think you have meaningless membership. If, if, if you woke up in the morning and only, only one-third of your body was able to be activated on the bed, what would it be like? You, you, you're, it's probably how you all feel, right? <laughs> it, it, you're paralyzed, right? You, you don't have motion, right? Uh, that, that's, that's an unhealthy body. Um, the Bible also talks about the fact that there are wolves that will come into a flock. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that there are people that are not Christians at all that just go because it makes them feel good, but they're really not a regenerate person with the Spirit of God on the inside of them. These are all uh, things that the church has to deal with. And this is why, you know, if, if you've been part of church long enough, we have a business meeting next Sunday, a lot of business meetings erupt. Why? You just have people coming along saying, yeah, I'm a member here. They only show up once a year, and they give their, you know, they, they stomp their feet at the business meeting, right? But they're really not spiritual people. They're really not engaged in community. 
and they have total control of the church. So these are signs of unhealth. And I'm going to go down one little rabbit hole with you because I think this is something we have to deal with in the West. And that was, I say, this idea of consumerism in the church, that we have adopted a consumeristic mentality. I believe we have subtly taught a generation that church exists for you. We've created a list of programs to outdo the church down the street. We need kids programs, sports programs, coffee bars, celebrity musicians, short services. And, you know, this has actually formed people in their view of church. I was told when I planted this church by a, a fellow church planter, Jason, whatever you do, don't shortcut the beer budget. You really need a really big beer budget if you're really going to get people to come to your brand new church. We didn't have a beer budget. We've never had a beer budget, mainly because I don't like beer. But like, um, I just couldn't imagine Jesus sitting down with the 12 right before he's ready to go to the cross and say, now, guys, whatever you do to take over the world, make sure you got a beer budget. Right? This is what the church has become, Right? This place to consume and to be entertained. The consumeristic approach that we've taken to church life in the U.S. is collapsing because it lacks a foundation. We have favored pragmatism over theology, crowds over disciples, marketing over evangelism, coffee bars over catechism. We've shown greater commitment to manufacturing celebrity pastors than lifting up unseen, humble, and sacrificial shepherds. I'm listening to this podcast right now called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill one of the, a large evangelical church in our country. And uh, it's a very well-known pastor, but he had deeply abusive leadership. Lots of law and things you should do with no grace undergirding it. The largest podcast uh, on the Christian podcast web, but there was no true soul underneath that church that was holding it up. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about consumerism because when we talk about making a commitment to a body, this is what I come up with all the time is this consumeristic water that the church seems to be swimming in. But a body, folks, where, just think of your own body. If everything is you take and you take and there's no expelling of energy, expending of energy, what does that do? This is how you felt after Thanksgiving last week. You just ate and ate and ate and you just kind of, we just kind of sat there. You know, we get out of shape. We get out of shape. And I think a consumeristic church is out of shape. And I think in some ways we can say it's the pastor's fault. We were trained in seminary that it really is all about this hour on Sunday morning and we're successful if there is standing room only in this room. When Jesus did never really talked about church size, he always talked about church health. He never talked about mega churches. He actually talked about making disciples, right? Robert Coleman writes in the Master Plan of Evangelism, Jesus' concern was not with programs to reach multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Jesus did not die with a big church, but he did have men and women who were willing to die for his vision. Matt Reynolds gave that in his article, The Death Rattle of Consumer Christianity. So this is my transition to the family talk from the 1 Corinthians passage, okay? Is when we started Providence 14 years ago, we actually smelled this and said, we don't want meaningless membership. We don't want a consumeristic church. The whole reason that we decided to get together as a group of people at the core and, and say, hey, we're going to walk this journey together, and, and this church is not going to just stay within the four walls. We're going to make an impact in the neighborhood as well. We wanted to go against cultural Christianity and reclaim the idea 
of being part of a body. And we, we used the term membership in the first couple of years, and then we got rid of it because people kept thinking of this idea of, of what I call meaningless membership, where you joined a thing. We wanted to get the idea that you're partnering with a people. So we moved from membership to covenant partnership. We chose that because it's more of a commitment to a people. You are saying by becoming a covenant partner, these are the particular saints I'm going to prioritize in my discipling and in my love, warts and all, I am being bonded to this group of people. This means I leave behind the comfort of individualism and I voluntarily allow myself to be bound to other people. This to us is the picture of the gospel. Why? Jesus left the joys of heaven to be bound to us and to form this church. So when we talk about covenant partnership, uh, I don't know, ushers, if you have that sheet, um, we actually ask people to make three commitments. One is a covenant of community. That is how you live amongst the body. One is a covenant of faith. This is basically a statement of faith of what you believe. And then third is a covenant of conduct. You know, how you will behave and how you'll behave rightly. So, uh, so if people become a covenant partner, they say, hey, I'm agreeing to this on paper. And then you become a covenant partner of the church. We believe that if you actually do what's on this page, this will form you. And it's, it's a countercultural way of forming you against consumer Christianity. I want to say this. This does not make us better than other churches. Other churches do this differently, but this is just how we have chosen to follow Jesus as a body. We wanted to be a church where people wanted to be together with each other and make a significant commitment to one another. And this is why almost everybody from our founding team is still here 14 years later. I want to I be part of this body for the rest of my life, no matter what position I ever hold in this congregation. But I think one of the most countercultural things you can actually do is make a commitment to a local church. Even, I have to say this, even within the church, the church at large. Why? It is not culturally cool right now to make a covenant to a group of people. And if you do, it's all your niche people who think like you, act like you, went to school at places like you did, right? Can you imagine making a commitment to a group of people as diverse as this room is here? That's the beauty and the power of the church. That is countercultural. This means that I'm going to be in a room with people who vote different than me. This means I'm going to be in a room with people who eat different food than I eat. These are, these are people who have different values than I have. These are people from different areas of the church that might have different doctrinal beliefs than I have. But we are making a commitment to a group of people. Number two, when you become part of a church, you are inviting accountability into your life with the resulting discipline. That is countercultural. Why would you ever put yourself underneath someone's authority who could actually uh, discipline you if you go south? You don't have to do that. That's countercultural. I think most of the churches out there today do not exercise any form of discipline. But then three, you're actually submitting yourself to a group of people and to spiritual leadership. That's countercultural. To say that I need you and you need me and we're going to covenant to walk this road together, that is countercultural. But Christian movements tend to grow by raising the bar of expectation, not by reducing the cost to join. Raising the bar of expectation, not reducing the cost to join. I would rather be part of a group of people, of 50 people, 
that really meant it and want to do this church thing and link together for life and be committed to each other through the ups and downs of relationships than have a church of 10,000 people who I don't know, hardly any of them, and I don't know where they stand, and I don't know if I'm in the hospital, if anybody's going to come visit me, and, and I don't know if I get off the, tra- off the track, if, if somebody's going to come confront me, or if I do well, people are going to rejoice with me. Give me the true church. Give me that picture of people who are committed to one another. Now, let me tell you, there's some things we've learned along the way, and we've made mistakes on this, and I'm just going to tell you what they are. I think there was a time where we had an imbalance of the love neighbor and the love God value on the wall. We were so saying, hey, the church does a lot of love God stuff, does a lot of family stuff, but it really doesn't make an impact in neighborhoods. And so we really pushed into the neighborhood, and I think we did not emphasize the love God piece as much as we should. And so some people became ultra busy, plunged in deeply. We told people, reorient your lives if you're going to really do this thing. Um, But I think we had inadequate rhythms of rest. We didn't implement emotionally healthy rhythms of life, such as Sabbath and setting healthy boundaries. Um, And I don't think we just emphasized the love God piece enough together. So a couple years back, we actually changed our mission statement to say, uh, not only are we to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, but to be fully loved and devoted followers of Jesus. The love of Jesus is what uh, we need to be primarily entranced with. And that then gave us the energy to love others. So we've, we've tried to correct those things. I think the idea of a high, a high bar of commitment created an attitude that I think some people felt was exclusive about the committed people. That there was this real in-out kind of group. So you're either a covenant partner or you were chopped liver, you know? We never said that, but it's like, where, how else do I fit within this body? And people could feel then guilted into the mission. And I think also we didn't acknowledge that, you know, everybody's on a journey in their life. And everybody has to figure out how they can engage with a body based on their life responsibilities. So I don't think we did a good job of engaging people who are in the growth process of their Christian journey and not quite ready for the commitment. We do not believe a high commitment, as we've mapped out, um, has to lead to burnout. In fact, we actually believe we were designed to live the way it's written out. But I think you can't do everything the world demands of you, everything that uh, is, is out there as appetizing for you, then throw on your church commitments and think you're not going to burn out. You're going to burn out. I like how Juan used to always say it, reorient your life. That means you have to say no to some things. And I think, folks, there's some pretty easy things to say no to. For the first time this year, we will spend more screen time per day on screens than we do sleeping. Right? Just Google how much time the average person is now putting into Netflix on a daily basis, right? So I think the fact that we say, hey, love God together, have a relationship with him, and have a personal walk with him, uh, then join a small group as a church family, and once a week meet with them, and then figure out a way to love your neighbor in a, in a, in a practical way. That is not the path to burnout. We believe that is the path to flourishing. But you're going to have to say no to some lesser things in order for that to happen. Well, then, you know, COVID hit. And so uh, I think it's time for us. I think we mentioned in the past that we've had people move out of state. We planted a church. We have a bunch of new people coming in the door. Um, 
And now it's time to say, hey, post-COVID, what kind of church are we going to be? So I think to do a better job of not just saying you're a covenant partner or you're chopped liver, I think we're going to say, hey, you know what? We're just going to lay out the table, and we want everybody here to be part of this body. And based on where you're at in your life, pick what that might mean to you. So our elder team has met with our Women's Leadership Council, and we kind of walk through, we call, I call the three levels of commitment here. The first one would be a congregant. This might be you. You just attend weekend services. You may participate in some other areas, but you're fairly limited in your engagement with the body here. But you would still call this your home church. Welcome. You are part of the body of Providence. Second would be a committed participant. We have a bunch of people like that, that they're, they're more than just a, an attendee. They actually might be involved in a small group as well, or they might volunteer in the nonprofit and they serve in some capacity, most people would say these people are really engaged in the life of, their, of our body. I'd call them a committed participant. And then we have what we call the covenant partner. This is somebody who actually agrees and commits to the church covenant, the statement of faith, and they say, I'm submitting myself to this body and to the leadership. And, and so those are the, the three ways that I think we're thinking about uh, expanding how you can engage with the church here. We have learned a lot that there are people who become covenant partners for part of their life, and then they might enter, enter surgical residency, and they can't fulfill those requirements, and they step out. You know what? It is fine. Wherever you feel God leading you, I think we want to ride this tension of saying, live your life on the mission of God the way you feel led, while upholding a high bar of commitment, but giving room for a lot of people to engage in the way that they feel God's leading them. My wife helped me with this because uh, we do this in cross-purpose a lot with our leaders. But first of all, become self-aware. Where am I and where do I want to go? Between now and the end of first quarter of next year, we'd really like everybody here to think of that. Where am I at right now and where do I want to go? But then secondly, become self-aligned. What steps do I need to take to align my life with the mission of God and what he's called me to do? So you might be, um, as you review and reflect, and you think about what commitment you want to make, you might be a congregant and you want to stay a congregant. You may want to be a congregant but pursue a greater commitment. Maybe you're a committed participant. You're just going to stay right there. I'm not ready to be a covenant partner. Uh, but maybe you say I'm a committed participant. Maybe it's time for me to step across the line. I think several families are going to join and become covenant partners here next week. You might be say I'm a covenant partner. I'm going to stay that way. Or, you know what, I'm actually a covenant partner, but, at, but my life, I'm not able to do that right now. You can step back, and uh, th that is totally fine. Or maybe you say, you know what, I don't even really know. I want to have a discussion with a pastor or a staff member about my commitment. Um, you know, we'll put the emails of every church leader up here after the service. You can come have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with anybody about that. We believe this is important for your life. For you to actually sit and say, how do I actually engage with the body of Christ, and how do I line up? Some of you might be tempted to think this. Well, uh, I want the pastors here to like me and think well of me. And so, but, uh, you know, that, that top level of commitment, I've got to do that in order to please my, my pastor, you know. Or you might think that if you're going to be in the in club at Providence, you better be that covenant partner. Uh, those, are, those, are the, 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 those are the committed Christians, you know. But I actually think it's probably the opposite. I think the deeper commitment that you make, essentially you're not admitting that you're a great Christian. You're actually admitting that you're pretty below average and you probably need this. You're not really the most faithful person out there. You actually realize you're pretty unfaithful. 
You're not, you're not the perfect one, but you're, you're prone to wander. You're not the strong one. You're probably weak. You're not the one that's got to figure it out. You're the one that doesn't even trust yourself, and you want to join a group of people and say, you know what, I want to go all in with you because I've got to go down this road, and I want to eventually meet God, and I want to hear him say, well done to me. That's how I look at it. So I don't want you to look at commitment uh, as Christian duty because I think undergirding all commitment and activity is this, at the last part of that covenant page. I, I signed that thing 14 years ago. And I have broken that covenant. But I love the last part of the covenant. I will, by the grace of God, abide by these commands. And if I fail to uphold them, I'll humbly repent, ask forgiveness from God and from others when necessary. So help me, God. It's all undergird with his grace. That covenant is really, this is my heart. I want to be committed. I want to be under leadership. I want to be part of this body. But the most encouraging thing I can leave you with today is that it's really not up to your performance and behavior. Because the Bible says in Corinthians that Christ is actually the head of the body. He's the head of the body. If you think of that, right, and, and, and there's, there's a subjective and mystical side, but what, what if it's actually really true? That the people in this room, we are bound together by covenant with each other. Christ is our head. And when you think of the head on the body, it performs a pretty significant function. Not much happens without the head. I had the special privilege of rolling a razor four-wheeler several years ago over my hand. And if you look at the left of my hand, it's doing the cross-purpose logo. My bone's there. And uh, I broke my hand. And they had to stick pins into my hand. And uh, when that uh, four-wheeler fell on my hand, my head screamed. <laughs> right? My head told my other hand to go hold my arm. My head said, uh, something's wrong. This is not a minor owie. Right? And then I went, and, and my head said, you don't know how to fix this. Right? And so I go to the doctor, and they start talking to my head. And I start making decisions for this hand, and I go through this six-month process, right? They, they bind it up. They put the cast on it. Then I have to get it out of the cast, right? Then I have to go to physical therapy. And I just go like, try to go like this, you know, and it didn't go. You know, you've been in physical therapy after a cast, you know. I am screaming at the PT person, you know, because it's so painful. Uh, but, but now today I can actually, you know, hold it both like that. My head directed all of it. My head actually energized the whole process. My head resourced it. My head, my brain told all the blood cells where to go to heal that bone. It did all of it. The church is a place for the broken, the unfaithful, the people who tend to wander in their heart, the people who feel naturally like I'm not wanted here or maybe perhaps have an arrogant heart and say I'm better than somebody else, the church is for all those messed up people. And what Christ says is plug into the head, plug into a body resourced by Jesus, and it will be the greatest journey of your life. For in him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, 
thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before him, all things in him, all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. I can think of no greater, greater way to be in the fount of God's blessing and his activity in the world than to gather together with a group of people. The greatest healing, strength, and the sense of doing something greater than yourself can be becoming part of a church. Let's do that journey together. I really, if I can communicate the heart of the leadership here is this. You, you with God, figure out how you want to plug into a local church. And by the way, if it's not Providence, it's totally fine. But plug in somewhere to a body that you can do life with and do a deep walk with and make a commitment to one another and it will be the greatest joy of your life. Guys, you as a church have been the greatest joy of my wife and I's life. You have helped us raise our kids. Our kids are different because of you. And, and I'm thankful. I am thankful for this body. And I mean when I said I want to be part of it the rest of my life. It's the greatest joy. So my prayer for you is that you would make a journey of formation with a local church and enjoy the joy of Christ being your head. Let's pray. God in heaven, thanks for being a place in my life where I've been able to come back and forth to. Uh, times I have strayed, times I've been broken, uh, times I've been strong, times we've done some great things. But I've been able to do it with a group of people here, Lord, that love you, and I believe they love me and I love them. So Lord, I pray that in this post-COVID world, as it seems like everything is so confusing, that you would form this new body here, Lord. That what, are, what are we going to be going forward? And in 2022, we can not just reflect and recommit, but we can rebuild what you have for us here in this neighborhood and in this city. We ask this in your name, amen.